Hey, everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. Sometimes I confuse it and call it the lighter side of sports. We can talk about anything we want. I have the privilege and the honor of being back for the fifth week in a row with my good friend, and it's a comfortable feeling because I have a good time talking a little baseball with Craig Deshaun, the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers and the Bucks, and a good friend of mine, and Dave Nelson, and da-da-da. Hey, buddy. How you doing today, man? Everything going okay? Yeah, the computer's working, and I, whenever I ask how are you doing on the first communication and I don't hear anything for a second, I go, what's happening? Because <laughs> Then you know. <laughs> we don't have a lot of uh, technical support, but I told you my computer went down in the middle of a podcast on, uh, on Friday. We got it back up and running, and thank goodness for that because we are alive and good on this Sunday. It's hard to believe five weeks we've been doing this and uh, where are we with COVID-19? Yeah, I know it. I I was thinking when you said five weeks that uh, maybe I should start sending in an invoice or something just so I could, you know, recover a dollar or two along the way. But There you go. No, (laughs) exactly. That'll force you to get your sponsors a little sooner than later, maybe. I don't know. But uh, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, everything is uh, on my end is rolling along you know, just fine. I, I was hoping by five weeks into this, we would know a lot more about the return of sports, but we obviously don't at this point. Um, I, I guess, Jamie, we just have to take, um, you know, the fact that this country has made a, a hopefully a, a small step, a first step to some type of uh, recovering to normalcy in some capacity. So, you know, I think once we make a few more of those steps, I think we'll start seeing sports ramp up again. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, you feel like we're on the uh, cusp. It's a big word. Actually, it's a short word, but, it, you know, I don't use it every day in my language. But we're on the, <laughs> we're on the cusp of I feel like something's going to happen. Like people are going to, you know, the beginning of May, I think the – rules are going to relax and people are going to come out and realize that if they put their foot in the water, they're not going to get a shock. And so I'm up, I'm still confident spring training in May baseball in June with a couple little caveats that, uh, that might come up here in the midst of our conversation here in a few minutes, because when we talked last time, you were all in favor of fanless baseball in Arizona. And, and I took the opposite view um, I don't know what they're thinking of doing, but I know that uh, they're thinking of doing something, and I, I hope that something happens here soon, a positive direction to get baseball going again. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it seems to me that, um, you know, like if, if they had to make a decision, you know, today or tomorrow to get things back up and rolling again, I, it seems to me that that plan for Arizona might be the leading one right now. I'm not sure outside of that plan if there's a, a a better plan or a plan B other than teams, you know, just ramping up and, and getting things going in their in their own home cities, even though they're you know, it's very, very, very unlikely there'll be fans at the beginning. And I hope I hope the beginning is truly just a, a short amount of time with no fans and not something that we're talking about for two months, but it very well could be. Um but again, that's just, you know, all we can do is speculate at this point. But uh, I'd be in favor of doing anything to get the sport back up at rolling again. Um, I, I would prefer that if we did it, though, that we did it in, in everybody's own cities. Uh, the problem is, you know, who wants to go to New York right now if you're the visiting team? And if you're, you know, a Yankee or a Met right now, do you want to go into that chaos um, that is still going on, unfortunately. So e- even in a month from now, I, I don't know that anybody would want to do that. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons that they're talking about just picking a neutral site. And, you know, the greatest obstacles clearly have to be, though, whether the players would agree to do that or not. And, and basically to go, be going into isolation um, in, in the city of Phoenix without probably without their families. So it would... Um, I don't know if that's the best solution or not, but it is uh, clearly one that they've been talking about for a while now. I think that the scenario I see, and I don't know how scientifically likely it is, and that is that if they lift some of these stay-at-home orders uh, in early May and people start 
going out and there isn't a spike, then I think that they could get on with spring training, get on with maybe starting the season in Arizona, and then maybe even having fans at the uh, at the end of the year if there's a, a recognized treatment or even a vaccine. But, and I think it's becoming a bigger and bigger but, that is the negotiations between the owners and the players. It's not quite as uh, simple as it might sound. Yeah, that's for sure. There is an agreement in place, but there's already a disagreement about that agreement, um, uh, according to the players. And and I think part of that is, you know, being in one city and another part of it, you know, the major part is if there aren't any fans in the stands that the owners want to pay the players even less because they consider that a lost revenue too. And I think there's a, you know, you're, you're the lawyer, you're the expert on discrepancies, but there's, there's clearly a uh, disagreement, you know, on the player side, whether or not they get as much money if there's fans or no fans. And, and then what the owners are talking about in that, on that same subject too. So um, that's the one that's being debated at this point. And it is not, it's not as easy as just saying, you know what, uh, we're all anxious to get back, so let's just go back and do it and let the chips fall as as they may. That's clearly not going to be the case. Um, safety's first, you know, in regards to health. Uh, and then money is a close second. Trust me on that one. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, the money is a close second. So you've got safety, you've got money as 2A and precedent as 2B. And the owners and the players are both very paranoid about their opposing side in these uh, collective bargaining agreements, and they don't want to do anything that would, in other words, lead the way for the new uh, negotiations, which I think start in a, well, the contract expires in another year after this year, as I understand it. So I think that, um, interestingly, they have this hoopla, they come to a conclusion, and the owners think that the agreement is only if uh, uh, these uh, games are played in front of fans and the players are saying, uh, no deal. If we're going to play uh, in an empty stadium, it doesn't matter. We still want to get, uh, we still want to get paid. So I think that, um, and of course I read the agreement, not that anybody's seen the agreement. It's one of these rare things that has not, to my knowledge, been released in its entirety, but somebody's read it. Obviously, the players union and the owners have their position. And then who do you think would weigh in on the player's side, but none other than Scott Boris? So there's a Yeah, shock. exactly. Yeah. A shock. Yeah. So the voice of reason, right? Uh the, the yeah. guy that's gonna take the podium first on something like that. But um yeah, it's interesting. It, you know, you, you wouldn't think that there would have to be, you know, any bickering about things right now, but it just goes to show you, you know, this is all about, you know, business and this is st- uh, still all about, you know, the economy probably second after that. But, um, you know, they, they, they have to be healthy enough to play. So, you know, I think getting that figured out first is, is a key and they'll, they'll figure out something. I mean, you know, the bottom line is if you're the Yankees or the Dodgers, um, your your ticket revenue doesn't mean nearly as much to you as if you're the Milwaukee Brewers or Kansas City Royals. Um, they they need the the package of everything to work. They need uh, advertising. They need ticket sales. Um, they need revenue from television. They need revenue from from radio. They need whatever revenue they can combine together to survive. Where it's not the same in the in the big cities. Um, in major sports. So, you know, it, it does mean something if the Brewers are in a position maybe not to pay the players as much because there's no fans in the stand versus the Yankees in that question. Well, and with, uh, you, you mentioned the Kansas City Royals, man, oh man, talk about musical chairs and you sit down and there's no chair left for you. The, uh, uh, the Glass family wins by selling the team for a billion dollars at the end of this year. And the Sherman family takes over and goes, what? I just brought everybody down to spring training. They shut down spring training. There isn't going to be a a new season probably, or if there is, it'll be different. And here I am, the brand new owner of a, quote, small market team. So he's 
he's having a rough introduction into the uh, world of Major League Baseball. But, you know, I do think that they seem to come up with money from lots of different areas, and one can only hope that, uh, that it gets resolved. Now, I saw the other day where Chris Bryant, first baseman for the Cubs, said, hey, you know, if this goes too much further and we keep this going at the end of the year and we go into late into November, this could screw up two years, not just one year. And so, you know, guys with big contracts are going to think a lot differently than the guy that's fighting for that now 26th spot and the minimum salary. So those guys are going to want to play no matter what. And you can prorate whatever, but something is a lot better than nothing if I'm a, a young guy trying to make ends meet. And if I'm Verlander, I'm going, eh, you know, I could give my arm another year's rest. I've still got millions of bucks in the bank. So it's, uh, it's going to be a tough little uh, deal for the, uh, for the union. And uh, I don't know. Um, I, you would hope that if, from a health standpoint, they're cleared to play, uh, and can do it in a in a good way that the rest of the stuff will take care of itself, and I think it will. I think there's going to get uh, to be a lot of pressure on all these sports teams to put out some kind of a product. And in fact, I've heard where the PGA is going to start up in June without any fans. Have you heard that? Yeah, I think that's a go. I, I don't remember what tournament it is, but um, that's a go as far as I know. So that would be the official return of of sports clearly because nothing's going to return before then um and so i you know will it take that to actually air and be a successful tournament for the rest of sports to all of a sudden kick in gear well you know sometimes life is a domino effect and, and things can happen quickly after that i would hope that the closer to you know that we get in into the month of may that they have uh, plan A and a plan B and a plan C ready to roll on certain dates um, just based on the fact that if this country is getting, you know, healthier by the day that it will work out for sports to return in, in that capacity as well. So I, I also think it's interesting, the point that you brought up, Jamie, about, you know, uh, if you're a guy like uh, Verlander that, you know, hey, you know, if this bleeds into next year, Chris Bryant talking about it, um, and it could affect us a little bit. How about some of the guys? I've been thinking about this too, not on the opposite end of some of the young guys trying to make teams. Some of the guys who on the, are on the cusp of their careers that are in there that might be 30, 31, 32, that maybe been journeymen here for the last couple of years but are good quality players. It's kind of what the Brewers have built up this year. If they, for, for some reason, only play maybe a partial – season this year or what if this you know schedule bleeds into changing things in 2021 how about some of those guys how about a guy like like ryan braun was going into the final year of his contract this year openly talking about this being his last year and maybe retiring you know what what a way to go out or what a situation for some of these guys that that they can't extend their careers because you know, the, the years are blending in or there's, uh, the opportunities, you know, dissolve during this whole thing. It, it's kind of crazy. There's a lot of different scenarios to look at They're really depending hard. upon what angle you take. Yeah. Like is Mookie Betts going to be a free agent in October if they don't play? Yeah. And you know, up in Milwaukee, you know, after this season, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, with the Bucks is in a position to be offered, um, you know, the, the super max because he was an MVP, even though he's young and he's got potentially more than $250 million on the table that he can make over the next five years. If the NBA doesn't finish, does he qualify for that? Or does he have to wait another year? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different, you know, look at it. We're talking about a guy waiting for a $50 million a year paycheck, but it is what it is in sports. And these guys don't play forever. So uh, it is an interesting, you know, situation. Uh, how anxious are you to get back to playing, you know? Well, and, and your, your scenario about these older guys, uh, they'll take Alex Gordon with the Royals. He signed a free agent contract after they released him. And uh, he signed again with the Royals. But, you know, how many more, uh, how many more chances uh, is his age going to provide him to play? And, and there are lots of guys like that. Not all of them have made – millions and millions of dollars but um 
uh, they're going to – people had said that the NFL agreement that got approved was was not favored by the the uh, quarterbacks of the world, but that the guys in the trenches decided that it was a good deal. And I think, um, you know, there's there's clearly – becoming a disparity in these unions or whatever they really are between the haves and the have-nots, and they have a completely different uh, interest in the negotiations. So baseball usually stays more united, but we shall see with, uh, with the disparity in salary growing every between the haves and the have-nots. It'll be interesting, but, you know, first and foremost, it would be good to watch something besides the 54 World Series, but I did watch. Yeah. I watched Ali Frazier fight number two. I couldn't remember who won that one. I guessed it was Ali, and he did. Um, and then the uh, game seven of the of the 2019 World Series came on between the Nationals and the Astros, and I I could no more watch that game now, knowing that maybe they didn't cheat last year, but they're cheaters. So I have no interest. In watching that game, isn't it weird how how these things affect even watching replays? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is it is really crazy that way for sure. Um, you know, because you're you're you know sometimes you remember things and sometimes you don't. But but if you know what the outcome is and you've seen it before, or it's just not that entertaining. I mean, right now watching classics, you know, I I would think that your first choice would be is this, how entertaining is this? And I know that they've thrown World Series and stuff around, but, uh, you know, like like over on the Brewers' side, you know, they're going in their 50th year of existence this year, and they've never won a world championship. They're one of, you know, less than you could count on one hand who has to won a, a World Series, I believe, in baseball. But um, they've been to the World Series once, and just throwing the classics of the series that they lost sometimes is, is hard to stomach. You know, what do you want to watch out of that specifically? There were some good games. Did that but go seven? It went seven, and they had a 3-2 lead. It was against the Cardinals in 82. Right. But just, you know, I think watching the games they won, you're watching a classic, you understand that. But then then it's like, but I want to see the championship game, you know. and But they lost, so, you know, you don't want to watch the game seven when they lose either. So it's – um it's been interesting watching the, you know, what's been dug up out of the archives. And I'll tell you this right now, I applaud everybody uh, who, who has been assigned to help out on this because I was, for our network, uh, assigned to help out. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed the research part of it to, to make sure we had the, we could get the right games and there was television, you know, available for those games and stuff. I enjoyed the research part of it more than anything that I would sit down and watch a game again at this point. So it's, it's an interesting take, I think. It is. It's fun. Part of the, part of this podcast, I get to uh, research a little bit of, uh, before I have somebody that comes on that, that played, um, it's fun to kind of dig around in their background. We did John Wathen this week and, uh, he managed the uh, Omaha Royals minor league team that my family owned. And so I've known John for, for a long time. And then his, his kids collectively, his two sons collectively, I think if you, if you uh, looked at their records, they played a total of 22 or 23 years in the minor leagues. And uh, I know one of them never even got a cup of coffee, but uh, the other is uh, currently the third base coach for the Phillies and managed for 10 years in their minor league. So it was fun talking to John because of the uh, people that, that either we've both known or that I've watched play with the Royals. And uh, he's a class act. What a, what a good, good guy. That's pretty cool that, uh, you know, you have opportunities to do that. And, you know, especially going back to the point where he was there when your family owned the team. Um, and then I think it's cool too. I didn't know this until you just mentioned it. You talk about the extended part of the family staying in the game. Um, that, that's the neat thing about baseball. And, and I know that, you know, all of the players and, and coaches and stuff that I've had a chance to interact with or interview or do stories on who have extended family in the game, they are truly an extension of each other. They're, they're, 
you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to be the first guy in is going to be class. And then, you know, every, you know, uh, next layer of that family is going to be the same way. And, it, and I think it's cool that the game of baseball has that to offer over, you know, over all of these decades of, uh, of playing and, and having family involved like that. Yeah. And, and his, it's not only his sons, I have to uh, give credit to uh, his daughter, Dina, I believe it's her name. She's the alumni director for the Royals. So she is in uh, baseball and uh, plans their fantasy camp. So uh, I'm trying to wangle an invite to, uh, I did the Cubs fantasy camp. I, I may have to go down and Wathlin said, well, for old guys like me, I could be his bench coach, which sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> be a fun week to hang out, that's for sure. No yeah, matter what you know, it's cool. It's like with our buddy Nelly. And I, and I, I know, you, you know you have been living it professionally for decades. But the thing that, that I love about talking to these guys is if you, you mention something and they mention a name and then – as I've joked, you know, this show is one degree of Dave Nelson, but these guys, especially in that, it's probably the same in every, every generation of ballplayers, but you know, they just like with Dave, you could mention anybody in the sixties or seventies or eighties, maybe even go through when he coached name a name and he's got a story and all these guys are so back then, maybe it's the same now, so interconnected that uh, you mentioned something and boom, you could go talk for 10 minutes about this guy who knew that guy who was your best friend or whatever. It, it seemed to be a lot more of a collegial group in that era, but maybe I just haven't talked to anybody that's playing now. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, back then, you know, listening to to Dave's stories and, and all the guys that knew him, um, the fraternity with those guys was off the field. And I give them a lot of credit because I think to have a fraternity of guys and friends and best friends that are created, most of them off the field, that takes a lot of effort. And I think today, the way baseball has swung, the way it, um, the socializing uh, goes between the two teams, a lot more players are switching teams more often than they did back in back in Dave's days. I understand that, but the the etiquette on the field is is still very friendly now. Is what we're seeing baseball in the last ten or twenty years versus back then. I mean, we've talked about this. They had the etiquette police out, you know, for for eons up until the last maybe 20 years so you know the first 80 or 90 years of baseball uh you were you were going to war on the field and you weren't you know tapping someone on the shoulder at first base and having a little conversation on opposite teams because you were over there and you know you weren't you know intermingling during uh batting practice and stuff either once you took the field for anything you know you were you were in it to win it and um and imagine not having the camaraderie on the field before the games back then that these guys are having now. So to me, it, it, it took some effort to, to, you know, kickstart relationships and stay in touch. There was no social media, no one had cell phones, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, I think it's fun. Well, let's, let's take a quick break and uh, get a drink of water and we'll come back with segment two and talk about our good buddy who, uh, we're celebrating the, I guess you celebrate the uh, two-year anniversary since, uh, since he departed. So let me uh, grab a drink of water, and we'll be back with uh, segment two and Craig Kishan on the lighter side of baseball in just one minute. We're back on the air with Craig and Jamie on the lighter side of baseball, and you can hear it in our voices. We're just dying for, for some real baseball. And uh, – we are not really close to that happening. Maybe spring training will get going. But in the meantime, we got to kind of create a diversion. And our diversion uh, for this segment is uh, something that we both enjoy, and that's talking about our good friend Dave Nelson. He is the man. He is the man. And what, what do we have? The two-year anniversary coming up of, uh, of his passing on Monday, correct? Uh, Monday or Tuesday, whatever the 22nd of April is. I think that might be uh, – uh, well, that'd be Wednesday then. 
Yeah, Wednesday. So um, hard to believe it's it's uh, it's been two years, um, but um, you know, I guess it's since Dave passed away, I start. Um, I'm, I guess I and maybe without baseball to watch, and when I turn on MLB Network, it seems like every day, you know, from Frank Robinson to you know, Jim Fry just passed away and our respects go out to his family and Glenn Becker before that. And then I, I saw where uh, the guy that coached with Dave Nelson, uh, Arizona State baseball coach Bobby Winkles passed away. Yeah, this is uh, interesting times um, to to lose some guys when the game's not going on either. You know, it's not, it's not off season. You know, these are times where you know, when you're playing, you, you like to, uh, you know, salute somebody. And, you know, when Dave passed a couple of years ago, it was just into the 2018 season. And, and I don't know what I would have done. And, and many of us, if we didn't have the actual game of baseball going on, you know, that same day, the next day, and, you know, weeks after before he was um, um, memorialized, I guess, if you will, uh, later in June with the Milwaukee Brewers franchise and stuff. Uh, so we're fortunate uh, from that respect, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think 10 or 11 teams the day after he passed away honored him. I know I got back to Kansas City and was able to see that tribute to Dave, and they had a television show about Dave. And, I mean, you know, he was here for the uh, last two years of, of his career, and his – as Wathan said, you know, Wathan was a young guy on the team and Dave was a veteran. Uh, Cookie Rojas was on his way out. Frank White was on his way in. Dave was kind of the liaison with Whitey Herzog. And Wathan goes, you know, uh, class guy. He was always uh, such a gentleman. And I never saw a guy with more dates than anybody in the baseball. Melly <laughs> <laughs> always had a girl with him. That is oh, true. well, he was a charmer. Let's put it that way. He was a charmer. <laughs> he, uh, he definitely was. And uh, he, um, he didn't miss a beat in that regard. But the, uh, it's just um, Bobby Winkles. I remember, God, this is way back when, when Dave coached with the White Sox in 83. Winks was uh, uh, a coach. And I think maybe even a year after that. But it was at the old Comiskey Park, and there, you know, there hadn't been any drug problems, and people could come and go in the locker room. And back then, in that old shabby Comiskey Park locker room, uh, the coaches had their own little dressing area. And after the game, I, uh, you know, filed down to the third baseline, and you know, the guard would let me in. I'd go in and sit on a folding chair, which turned out to be some of the most fun I had with Dave. Uh, uh, with Nelly, then uh, Jim Leland was around. Bobby Winkles and Charlie Lau were there, and the whole time they treated me like I was one of the guys. It was uh, it was fun. But Winks was he and Charlie Lau. You couldn't have gotten two classier guys uh, that may not have had a great career. And in fact, I'm not sure Winks ever played. He just was so successful at Arizona State, and then uh, I. I don't know if it was Jerry Reinsdorf, Roland Heeman, or somebody wanted to get Winks onto the pension. And I think that was one of the motivating facts back then. You know, people didn't make a ton of money coaching college baseball. No, and there's, you know what, there's not a lot of guys that, that go from college baseball over to the pros either very often. I know uh, you, you mentioned Arizona State. Pat Murphy was one. Um, he, he was uh, head coach at Notre Dame and then Arizona State and then ended up coming over on the pro side. He was Craig Council's coach at Notre Dame and coached a lot of guys that are still, uh, I think there's still some playing from Arizona State back in the day too, but uh, a, a rare feat in a, in a, you know, probably, you know, something that is a little more trending now than it was back then that you're talking about, but maybe a trendsetter. Yeah, that's right. But um, who was Murphy with? Murphy, uh, well, he would did Notre Dame, then Arizona State, and then he came up um, on the pro side with uh, the Padres and uh, managed um, at their minor league levels and then got uh, the manager's job, I don't know how many years ago. Was it 2015 to start the year? I think it was 2015 to start the year. 
after their current manager got fired, they brought him up from AAA. And then he's been on the major league level since because after that season, he joined Craig Council staff, I believe, in 2016 full time. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. I was trying to. And, he, and he's the current bench coach right now for the Brewers. Yeah. I, you know, last year when they, uh, on, on Dave's birthday, they had a, again, the Brewers did another um, night, and you were kind enough to. Uh, allow Bob Solis and me to join you on uh, a portion of the pregame show. But I remember when we were down on the field to receive the uh, contribution from the Brewers Charities for Open Arms, uh, Bob Solis had gotten to know Murphy through recruiting of his son Sammy, and Bob also was a Notre Dame guy, so they had a chance to catch up with each other. And it's just, uh, you know, baseball people for the most part are just so good. They're so nice. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a big, big, big world of uh, guys who play the sport more than any other sport as far as individuals go. But it seems so small, uh, you know, when you're when you're the human in the moment, too, you know, it's uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Tell me, you and Nellie got to leave campus every now and then during the summertime and do do some shows away from uh, away from Miller Park. Tell me about those. Well, the ones that we got away to do, well, you know, we, we went to some ballparks and did some shows. We did a lot of shows at Wrigley. Um, we did, uh, and those regular baseball shows, uh, a lot within our division, Cincinnati, St. Louis. Um, one day we had a double header. Um, we had a, a, a weekend, I think it was down in St. Louis where it was, we had, you know, lost game after game to rain and ended up doing, you know, double headers are so rare anymore. Um, and we had a producer at the time who said, you know, this is going to be a long day for everybody and for our announcers and stuff. And you and Davey get along so well during the pre and post game show. He said, how about you guys come on and, and fill in for our guys and give them a break, the regular play-by-play and analysts and, and give them a break maybe in the fifth inning. You guys can maybe do the fifth. And it was not met with approval from the brass above. Yeah. Uh, but we, <laughs> we, we that. did it, you know, we we're like, Hey, if someone's offered you the chance to, to jump on board. So they, we did our pre and post game show uh, from St. Louis that, that particular day um, adjacent in, we did it in the stands actually in a, in a camera flooring area, um, maybe about 50 feet from the dugout into the stands. And he said, well, just put up, put on your microphones and you guys can just call the fifth inning. And so, <laughs> and it was not met with approval. Uh, but we did it. We did it. And the next thing you know, it's we're still going in the seventh inning. <laughs> so we didn't do just one inning. We did the fifth. We did the sixth and we did the seventh. And then the game started getting close and they thought, well, we better get our, our regular guys back on. And and so they did. And we got ready to do the post game show after that. But uh, we had a ball. Cause we had we had never called the game before or after that. And so oh. it was our little shining moment together just beyond you know winning emmys doing the pre and post game shows so that one that one probably stands out you know a lot to me uh for a memory for him and i'll be honest with you i'm not sure i've shared that story with too many people before so you're lucky to have this on your podcast Jamie. that's great we need to dig up that uh, <laughs> we need to dig up that tape of uh of Nelly i can't even remember what year it was Oh my but, God, that's great! Well, you guys then, also you know, we, we yeah we we also remoted out to uh, gosh for many years we uh, did a, all weekend shows up in uh, Wisconsin Dells um, and I could never never get uh, Davy to get down a water slide but I could get him into any steakhouse with some good old Cabernet on the side and uh, man we had a blast we. We had fun doing our shows, but we had a blast just hanging out because you don't get to do that, you know, very often together. It's, uh, you know how it is. It's, this is a job first and, and uh, we had a blast doing that. That's for sure. No, that's, uh, I know he loved going to the Dells with you. I know that was a trip that he looked forward to and you get, get off of campus and you get away and you get with the fans that don't always get out to Miller Park. So that had to be, uh, that had to be fun. And then you guys would do Summerfest from time to time, I think. 
Yeah, we've we've made some uh, some appearances at Summerfest as well. Uh, we also went down to the grounds when the um, gosh, when was that? The team, I think it was two thousand eight when they clinched their first playoff in like twenty six years. We had a big send off for the team um, going on the road to play their game, and I don't know how many tens of thousands of people showed up down there. No lie, I think to get ready for a wild card game or something. It was a, I think it's back when the wild card was one team, and then they they uh, got put into the division series round. But um, it was it was just amazing. It was it was like you know, and he and I hosted the show down there together, and we had it seemed like every member of the team come on, and we sat there in a staged area, and we had the time of our life because it was. It didn't matter what anybody was talking about. It was almost like doing a podcast like this. Everybody cheered, and everyone was toasting and having a beer. And um, the team took time to to do all that before they their buses departed to go out to the airport to to go on their trip to oh, go to the playoffs. Cool. So it was, it's it was a, a cool moment, and we we haven't done that before. Um, or I should say, we haven't done that since. So that that's a pretty cool moment for us. Yeah, no kidding. That's great. Did did you and are you still a meticulous scorekeeper like Dave was? Well, nobody nobody has uh, as good as penmanship as Mister Nelson. That's for sure. And the funny thing about him keeping score, I'm not as meticulous, but I like to have. I do like to have every box checked that needs to be checked. Um, from the beginning to the end of the game, because when you're doing a post-game show, once in a while you have to reference something um, that you don't remember, and the scorecard's right in front of you, and you can go you can go right to it if you if you're keeping everything square and neat. But the thing that he did is a guy who kept score. He could remember everything if he was visiting with people who'd come up to the booth and. He wouldn't be paying too much attention to the game, but he could come back uh, two innings later and just go right through his box. Yep, I remember seeing that was a walk. That was a sacrifice fly. That was an RBI single. That was a fly out to right. And he'd just go right up and down because I'd go, Dave, you want me to get you caught up in your scorecard? No, I got it, partner. And boom, he'd just give give a glance and then talk to these people, give a quick glance to the field, but everything was in his memory bank. So – um, I, I don't know anybody who can do that. No, I know. And I'm, I'm just sitting here cause I kept his scorebook or one of them. And, uh, you know, you can like you, I keep score at games and nobody could interpret what I did or said or from, from hiding or hair of my scorekeeping. But here, uh, you know, he's got, uh, Garza throwing six innings, giving up six hits, uh, and the Brewers won eight to three over the Rangers. And, uh, you know, the winner was Garza. He was six and eight and Perez was, uh, 10 and 11. And by God, I can pretty much see the, see the entire game unfold right on uh, Nelly's score sheet. So that, that was a, an art in and of itself, especially for a guy that is easily distracted by a conversation because he just loves to talk, love to talk to people. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. You know what I was saying? It's like, how can you do that? You know, you barely glanced at the field and then he's got that in his memory bank and then he just goes back, you know, two innings after the fact and can, and can rattle off what each team has done, by the way, you're not just keeping score for your own team. You're keeping score for the whole game. And, and he was kind of an influence, I think for me that way, that um, everything you need to know for the post-game show is is literally unfolding um, right underneath your pen, and you can make it happen. And and so that was uh, that was part of it. But um, we had some good times. Uh, our, I, I'll be honest with you, straight up, you know, our it's it's was different going uh, into the ballpark uh, after his death in 2018, and then last year, you know, going to opening day and not having him there for the for the first time for real. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was, um, it wasn't the same going to the ballpark every single day last year for the whole year. It just wasn't the same without him. So, um, and then this has been strange too. I, I was thinking about this, you know, what in the world would we be talking to, to Dave or Nelly about right now? 
with all of this time off um, with the suspension of the season and stuff. And I was wondering, would he be upset or would he be collecting uh, different uh, brands of wine from around the world and making the most of uh, his off time? I'm, I'm guessing for uh, uh, option number B on that one. Yeah, I'm guessing that uh, not only is he ordering wine, but he's, he, uh, he's heading out to Napa Valley to call on several of his friends that own vineyards. Um, and so I definitely think he'd be taking, taking advantage. I don't think he'd be able to, in this time, travel too much, but uh, he might get stuck out of Napa. I think he'd like that. <laughs> you know, and, and in all seriousness, uh, I guarantee one thing, though, um, if, if he was still around and, and, you know, collecting more wine right now, he would genuinely be upset, uh, for all of the people that are involved in the sport of baseball that aren't players or coaches or whatever, um, that are being affected by the shutdown. That's yeah. for sure. Because as you know, there, there isn't a soul in any stadium, uh, Davey's ever been that he, he didn't know from ushers to concessions to whoever it was. And, um, and that whole best friend mentality certainly extended all the way. Well, Craig, you raise a great point. And that's what would Nelly be doing. I guaranteed to have his phone attached to his ear all the time because nobody, nobody had more people call him or he called them or text. So he would stay busy. I'm not sure how productive, but as the, as the sun would get ready to go down, he would definitely be popping open a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For hey, listen sure. to this lineup. Tell me what you think. This is a September. Since you know, we can at least talk baseball for a few minutes. This is September 2016, and I won't. Oh, I won't give you my opinion because I wasn't around. But but here's the lineup for that particular game against the Rangers. VR was leading off. Scooter Gannett at batting second. Carter third. Santana. Perez, Pena, Arcia, Reed, and Riviera, or Rivera. Um, to me, that's a suck-ass lineup. <laughs> but maybe you guys were good then. I don't know. You'll, you'll, uh, no, we weren't. No, that was that was year two of full um, rebuild mode oh, back then. That's man. for sure. Those are those are the days that Davey could probably uh, talk to people during the game and keep keep score without looking at the game for probably five innings, let alone two, and still have it all figured out. So yeah, well, those are some long days, man. <laughs> some long days. Well, his namesake Nelson was the uh, losing pitcher, and the crew came up with four runs, ten hits in air, and left nine stranded. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of nice to talk a little bit about baseball, but. Barnes was on that in that bullpen. Other than that, man, I, I mean, those are some. I don't. I mean, they're all great, and I'm just kidding when I say that's a tired lineup. But you know, that's a no. But it, but it also was a lineup of. I remember now Jonathan VR leading off, and I won't get too much into this team at all because it's really not a moot point at this point. But right. uh, you know, he, you know, in '15 they made the the managerial change, brought in Council, and at the end of '15 they brought in David Stearns, the GM. So it was uh, total transition mode in 2016. And you know, the team never said that we're in rebuild mode. It was the rest of us. They never wanted to say rebuild. And um, 2017 happens, and in um, 2017, 18, 19, you know, this team vying for playoffs and and pushing the envelope with everybody all the way through, you know, the end of September and stuff. So uh, the 2016 season, that era only lasted for that one year, which was, uh, thank God. Yeah, boy, and rebuild they did. What a great ball club they have put together. And <clears throat> I think even when they haven't been as aggressive as I would have thought they would have been in the offseason, it still has paid dividends. And hopefully Mr. Yelich and Mr. Kane and Mr. Brown will get to play again in the outfield together before the year's over. Let's hope so. So give me a memory of Nelly that occurred away from baseball that you share to this day and in your memory bank. Golf course. Well, you know, we didn't do it. We didn't do a ton of golfing. Uh, we golfed a little bit um, up, in, uh, up in the Dells, and we were up there. If there was especially a Saturday 
there was a Saturday night game. We'd, we'd golf during the day. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, from, from my standpoint, um, you know, with, with Nelly, the fact that he treated my kids so well, uh, was my favorite story to, to, to tell about him is when we were at the Dells and my kids, I think it maybe was our first trip up there of doing our shows up there. And my boys were little, they were grade school age kids and they were two years apart from each other, best little buddies. And they took the Davy right away. And we, we went out for a steak dinner with him, uh, one night and it was my wife and, and me and my two boys and Davy. And, um, we were having a great night and he was making the kids laugh and, and, you know, everyone was having a great time. And one of my boys leans in and then the other one leaned in and said, dad, we've been talking. And I said, what? He goes, can we ask David to be our godfather? And I said, well, absolutely. I thought that was the coolest thing. And, yeah. um, and so they, they leaned into Davey and they said, will you be our godfather? And you know, Davey's chuckle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That big old chuckle he had. He said, absolutely. I am honored boys. And, um, and then, so they were, uh, Godchild's number 1,304 and 1,305, <laughs> I think. They, so, they made the lineup. That's great. They did. And, and that's one of my favorite stories because um, it wasn't long after uh, Davey and I were doing a show at Miller Park. And during one of the games or during the pregame, some people came up to say hello. And uh, Davey always introduced me to everybody that came down, no matter who they were. It was always polite that way. And, um, and he said, Hey partner, I want to introduce you to my godson. Uh, this is George. So such and such and George such and such was as old as me. <laughs> and, and then, you know, the next day there'd be, you know, three little girls come down. These are my goddaughters. And, and I realized it didn't matter what age it was for a guy like him, uh, for his whole life, he had been somebody's godfather and um and that's why i joked with the boys about whatever 1000 number they were it's probably true well i think there's you know everybody has some great memories i know i do my whole family does my kids my grandkids i told you that one of my grandsons wears that nelly patch on his uh little league uniform and uh you know they they uh they my kids had Dave in their life from the time they were they were zero years old. So I did learn, I, you know, I, I had uh, Greg Murphy on the podcast yesterday. And uh, I don't know if you've met Murph before. Murph. Don't uh, believe so. Murph ha is from Pawtucket, Rhode Island, where Dave played rookie ball. And he was telling stories about his, Greg's dad was the uh, sports editor of the pot or the, news editor, the editor-in-chief of the Pawtucket Gazette or whatever it was, but he had a, he had a love for baseball. And so he'd go down to the uh, AA Eastern League affiliate at that time, Cleveland Indians team, and he would take his 8-millimeter camera and take pictures. Well, lo and behold, during this COVID-19 interlude, Murph's been going through old movies, and he found them movies of the exhibition game where Nelly was with the double-A affiliate of the Indians playing the parent team in an exhibition game and got the winning hit in, uh, in that game to win one to nothing. He said Nelly described it as a hard line drive over short. The movie showed it was a little bloop in the left field. But that was, <laughs> that was a great memory that he shared. And I'll, I'll give you a trivia question. This is a trivia question that I can adapt it to anything, but uh, Christian Yelich and Dave Nelson, what do they have in common with respect to their first hit in Major League Baseball? Boy, I, I cannot answer that. I cannot answer that. Well, they and I think Christian Yelich, I don't, he's not a switch hitter, right? No. So, lefty. Yelich and Nelly both got their first Major League hits batting left-handed. <laughs> Nelly's, Nelly's first hit came when Alvin Dark was trying to convert him to a switch hitter. 
No way. Against the Boston Red Sox. Murph was at that game, and he said Nelly got the first hit, and he, he sent me a little picture of, uh, it's hard to tell, but Nelly at the left-handed batter's box getting a base hit. How funny is that? I uh, now see it. I'm going to, that prompts me. I am going to look and see on if they have breakdowns of splits during certain games uh, and go back and look at that first game and see if if that's his only left-handed hit, I guess is my my question. Because I never knew that about him. Well, when we uh, come back next week, I'll expect you to have researched the uh, baseball almanac to figure out if that split was in the – Nine, it would have been in, I think, uh, 1968 was his first year up with the uh, team when Dark was the manager. So, All right. Yeah. So anyway, Murph, uh, Murph, gosh, he'd known Dave longer than me. And when I first met Dave in 73, Murph was sleeping on Nellie's couch or at his house. It was, it was a hoot. But uh, at any rate, those are, uh, those are fun memories. So we're going to – we're going to wrap this up on that note on Dave getting a left-handed hit. and uh, That was brilliant, by the way. That's a good way to end the show. Yes, sir. And we will be hopefully back uh, to talk about a plan that Major League Baseball might unfold between now and next week to get the, uh, the show on the road. You never know. We can be upbeat. But uh, I remain optimistic. How about you? Absolutely. I, I think we, you know, I'd be shocked if we weren't closer to getting something resolved here, you know, as far as a a true game plan that's becoming a little more public, that's for sure. I think so too. So I look forward to hopefully next week we can chat again on Sunday. And uh, for Craig Kashan and Jamie Rutsky, this is on the lighter side of baseball. I'm not sure how light it ever is. I know that some people want me to come up with jokes. I really am not a joke kind of a guy. So we'll just talk baseball and be happy to do that. So Be good, be healthy, best to your family, and we will uh, talk to you next week. And stick on the line for a second, if you would, while we get uh, your gift certificate from Papa Kino's Pizza. Hold on.